Thank you, Matt. Good morning, everyone. As uh, Matt explained, this is the start of a new season in the life of our church across in two locations, and there's been quite a bit of speculation. I've spoken to a number of people who've asked the question, what's it going to be like preaching twice in one morning? Uh, because I've had the opportunity to preach in Albury this morning and now come back here. And uh, let me say, the first year of my ministry, which is a good few years ago now, I did that uh, actually preached three times across the day, but twice in the morning, and I learnt some things in the process. First of all, if you say something and everyone just looks at you like this, uh, you reconsider saying that in the second round. <laughs> if you say something and everyone kind of is with you, you think, oh, good, I can work with that. And if you preach an absolute bomb the first time, you've got about 15 minutes to rework it totally <laughs> uh, before you come to uh, the second attempt. So... Hopefully we don't ever have that situation develop. I'm glad too that Matt's spoken at some length this morning about New Year's resolutions because on New Year's Day, typically nowadays, because this is a sign of the times, Diana and I will go to bed long before midnight, we get up and you feel kind of almost normal on New Year's Day. So on New Year's Day I jumped on the bike and I did a bit of a tour up through the countryside here, there and everywhere and would you believe it, everywhere I went there were people out walking, there were people out running, there were people out with their dogs, there were people riding bikes, there were people playing in the playgrounds and I thought to myself, it is such a beautiful day, it's just brought people out. Or is it? that everybody was saying, this is the year I'm going to do this or do that or do whatever. How many of those folks were actually out and about as a consequence of a resolution that they'd made uh, to get fit or to exercise more or to get a bit more light or whatever it might have been? Who would know? And in some senses, we want to apply that principle here in the life of our church this year by jumping into Romans chapter 12 for these first four weeks of the year. We're going to actually read Romans 12 four times in the next month. And by the end of the month, it'll be very familiar to us. We're going to work our way through because it's, a, it's a, in some senses, it's Paul's manifesto to living a Christian life uh, born out of the theology that Paul's talked about in Romans chapters 1 through to 11. And I'll talk a little bit about that in a few moments. It's impossible uh, for us to start talking about Romans chapter 12 without backing up a little bit because the very first word that you find there in Romans chapter 12, if you've got your Bible open, is what? Therefore. And principle number one when you come to Bible interpretation, if you ever run into the word therefore, is to ask a question, what is it? Therefore. And so really appropriate that we do that today. What is the therefore of Romans chapter 12 verse 1? Therefore, Paul actually uses the word therefore at three critical points in uh, the book of Romans. If you're taking notes, it's worth just following this. In Romans chapter 5 verse 1, you'll find a therefore where his argument shifts a little bit. Romans chapter 8 verse 1, there's another therefore where his argument hinges again. And also here in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, where Paul takes a break in his argument to apply the theology that he has been expounding. Now, we're not going to do a full study of Romans chapters 1 to 11, but let's just have a quick flying overview to give a little bit of context around what we're going to talk about here in Romans chapter 12, verse 1. And the first thing, if you back up to Romans chapters 1 through to chapter 4, Paul establishes that our righteousness, our right standing before God is a requirement that God has for us 
and a provision that God makes for us. That's really important to get a hold of. Uh, it's, it's an expectation that God has of us that we are righteous and it's something that God gives to us so that we are righteous. Does that make sense? Best way I can perhaps illustrate this is to, uh, is to say, uh, when I joined the Everyman's team, it became clear before I went out on an exercise in the field with any of the soldiers, I would need to be in uniform. Before that was issued to me, I did an inventory. What have I got that I can wear out there? And it came down to two things. Well, one thing really, my underpants. <laughs> that was it. But praise be to God as Paul might say, before that happened, uh, Christian Kemper took me around a Q store. Uh, the, the, uh, the unit that we worked with issued me with everything that I needed, a great big box full of stuff. And in the same way, when it comes to our standing before God, God has given us everything that we need. Praise God. In some senses, if we were to extend that analogy, if we were to stand before God with our righteousness, we would be standing there with nothing. But praise be to God, he's given us everything that we need. And Paul makes this case in Romans chapters 1 through to 4. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Paul says, We have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and are therefore unrighteous. But the good news, Romans 3, 22, there is a righteousness that comes from God which comes to us through faith in Christ Jesus. God has provided everything that we need and in case Paul's recipients were wondering whether this was a new thing, Paul said, actually, no, it's not. Have a look at Abraham. Abraham was righteous because of his faith. God actually gave him righteousness through faith. This is not a new thing. And so Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, Paul says, we enjoy three things. We have peace with God through Christ Jesus our Lord. We have access by faith into an unconditional and undeserved relationship with God and we have an assurance of future glory. So there's the first therefore. Chapters 5 and 6, Paul talks about how our union with Christ Jesus brings about justification, which in turn produces sanctification, right living, if you like. And in chapter 7, a chapter that might be well known to you, Paul wrestles with a couple of questions. I don't know if, has anyone here ever had that unfortunate experience and I've seen it happen and I've been in this place uh, once or twice, uh, reading Romans chapter 7 publicly. It's hard work. You know, the good that I want to do is not what I do. It's not what I want to do that I do, this kind of stuff. I listened to a young guy one time many years ago read that he got so tied up, so terribly tied up. Uh, Paul's wrestling with this question, uh, will I be condemned by my own lack of righteousness or my own lack of holiness? And another question Paul wrestles with in this passage, does God leave us under-resourced in the battle we have against our sinful nature? The answer is a resounding no. And if you come to Romans chapter 8, verse 1, Paul says, therefore, again, uh, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Great news. There is no condemnation. We have been set free in Christ. We don't have to worry about this wrestle of condemnation. And then in chapters 9 to 11, treacherous chapters in Romans, chapters that deserve a whole lot of attention, this idea of, you know, the remnant of the Jewish people, what is the place of Israel in God's economy in the future? 
How does it all fit together with Jews and Gentiles? We're told in this passage that God has made for himself a remnant of both Jews and Gentiles uh, uh, because of his great mercy, which brings us to the third therefore, the one that we run into today. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There's a summary of the first 11 chapters of Romans. And there's a summary of where Paul gets to uh, for Romans chapter 12. How then shall we live is the question that he's really addressing. If you want a summary in, in a really succinct kind of way, uh, we could talk about the first 11 chapters of Romans as being about the mercy of God. God's mercy demonstrated to us. God has been merciful through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has been merciful in reconciling himself to us or reconciling us to him and he has been merciful in not condemning us uh, because for those who are in Christ Jesus there is no condemnation. What mercy is demonstrated? And then Paul, in these next few chapters, 12 through 16, says here, here are the things then you build your life on. We understand something about foundations and how uh, the longevity of a building depends on good foundations. Romans 1 to 11 are the foundations upon which you might build and which might then see the fruit of a Christian life as you build on those foundations. And Paul says you can, you can have a life of mercy that flows out of this experience of mercy. And we read the whole chapter, Romans chapter 12 today, because the things that Paul describes in this chapter uh, are the fruits of mercy. They are demonstrations in practice of God's mercy. But it is worth noting something that when Paul starts to talk about the practical application, how then we live, he actually starts with a life that is worshipful. This is your spiritual act of worship. Quite a few years ago, and I've told you this story, I think I sat down with a colleague from another denomination uh, who, who the denomination, generally speaking, represented terrific social work in the community. They were streets ahead of us in terms of helping poor people, helping people who are hungry, helping people who are struggling. Uh, but Malcolm sat there with me this particular day and he said, you know, uh, all these things are terrific, but the thing that grieves my heart is that we've lost our theology of evangelism. Terrific commitment to community service, but had lost their sense of purpose in terms of evangelism, of bringing people to the Lord. Uh, the centrality of the gospel. And the truth is, no criticism of him or what they were doing. Before we give ourselves away in mercy to people, we need to give ourselves away in worship to God. Before we give ourselves away in service of others, we need to give ourselves away in service to God. We should never let Christian, uh, our Christian lives drift into a mere social agenda. And that's why I think it's really significant, and I'll just use this illustration if I can embarrass you, Kerry. Uh, when we gather here on Thursday nights and we have a number of folks come to us for meals and many of you have slotted in as helpers or visitors or guests, you will know that the focus there is not just putting food on the table. It's not just filling stomachs, important that that is. 
It's actually sharing Christ's love in practical ways, yes, but sharing Christ's love with our words, with our actions, with the gospel message that we bring. The focus is always, need, always needs and always has been on the worship of God first and foremost. And we need to keep that because we do no good in the end for anyone if we're not worshipping and leading people to the worship of God by our acts of mercy. If our good deeds are not expressing God's worth, then our deeds are not worship and in the end they won't be merciful. And if I could speak really bluntly, making people comfortable or helping them feel good while they're on their way to everlasting punishment without the hope that there is uh, or without the intention that they see Christ in our good deeds is not mercy because mercy makes much of Jesus. Mercy makes much of God and his character. Not caring about a person's eternal destiny is not merciful. So what does Paul um, then mean when he speaks about a life that is worshipful? Uh, what is he talking about when he says uh, this, this is your spiritual act of worship? Well, first thing he says is curious <clears throat> and perhaps a little troubling. He says uh, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We are about to embark on some really treacherous, uh, uh, treacherous uh, territory here, if you like, because back at Easter this year, and those of you who are part of our congregation then might remember, uh, I spoke on a couple of occasions about the continuity that there is between our physical body and our resurrection bodies. We don't exactly understand what that is, but there is some connection between the two. And so our physical bodies matter. I had some really challenging conversations with people after that. Uh, perhaps because for many of us, uh, we're a little bit um, uncomfortable about our bodies, right? And so even talking about offer your bodies as a spiritual act of worship could lead us into some difficult kind of territory. But let's provoke some uncomfortable conversations <clears throat> by saying this. When it comes to worshipping God, our bodies actually matter. When it comes to worshipping God, how we use our bodies actually matters a lot. Our bodies and our minds matter to God. And uh, Paul talks about a transformation of your mind in verse 2. We'll touch on that next week. Now, it might be very reasonable to ask this question, what on earth would God want with my body? I mean, let's be honest. This body ain't what it used to be. And I see anyone over 50 is nodding and everyone under thinking, no, I'm going to be like this forever. <clears throat> News flash. <laughs> There's a change coming, boys and girls. <laughs> It's not as fast as it used to be. It's not as flexible as it used to be. It's heavier than it used to be. It's getting greyer. This is, this is wonderful. Uh, Diana and I were sitting there one night this week. She looked she said, gee, you've got a lot of grey hair. And I thought, that is such a blessing to have grey hair. What's the alternative? No hair. Oh, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> what I mean to say is at least I'm alive. And what does the scripture say? Ground hair is a crown of splendour, the sign of a righteous life. But the body is not what it is. Last night, <coughs> last night uh, we, we were blessed to be able to attend a birthday party for one of our young adults. There's a whole heap of these guys who are out there playing cricket and somebody, I'm not sure who I'm going to blame, said, David, you better have a bat. Well, it's been a long time. And, uh, and I find it a little bit hard to see the ball. I'm not sure which part of my glasses to look through. And so there I was, 
One of the young guys, he thought, here we go, here we go, this will be fun. And I was swinging like a rusty gate. <coughs> Managed to accidentally connect with the ball maybe three times before skying one and was out. Thank goodness for that. <laughs> what, what on earth does God want with this body? That's a serious question. The answer to that question is actually kind of curious. Because though we're not perfect, the Old Testament worship is actually needed to bring a perfect sacrifice, one without blemish. Why would God want anything to do with this body? There's two problems with that thinking. The first of all, we don't bring our bodies as a sacrifice for sin. That's been done by Jesus. He did that perfectly. That's complete. We don't have to worry about that part. And the second uh, problem with uh, thinking about our bodies like this is it's all about bodily looks, not bodily behaviour. And actually, the scripture's more interested in bodily behaviour than bodily looks. If it was all about bodily looks, I don't know what you would do with Isaiah 53 verses 2 to 3, which speaks of Jesus in the moment of his greatest triumph. His moment, the moment of Jesus' greatest triumph was when he was on the cross there bearing our sin and shame. And what does Isaiah say? Isaiah 53 tells us there that he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. If you looked at Jesus' body in that moment, you would say it was an awfully ugly body. And I don't say that with any disrespect because crucifixion was a horrible thing. To put it indelicately, at the hour when Jesus was doing his greatest work, he was repulsive to look at. And again, I don't say that in any way disrespectfully. Across the scriptures, this is the message, our bodies are not significant because of the way they look, but because of the way they behave. And God's demand that we offer our bodies is not that we, uh, that we join the gym or that we take on Matt's New Year's resolution. I'm not sure. We'll have to talk about what yours are. I'm curious to know. You know that you're going to end up with a body like Mr Universe or Miss Venezuela or something like that. That's not the purpose. That's not what God's looking for. He's looking for bodily behaviour as, as an indicator of worship for him. In this verse, Paul also says we are to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. That might sound like a bit of a redundancy when we've just talked about offering our bodies, but actually Paul's encouraging us to think about how, how do we actually live? How do we live every day? Again, I think I may have told you this story, but some, quite some years ago, uh, one Sunday, our church, uh, church leadership said, look, we, we talk a lot about being involved in our community. We talk about serving our community, so let's Let's, let's do something heretical. Let's not do Sunday morning. Let's take the whole congregation out and join the Clean Up Australia Day program. Do you remember that program? Ian Kiernan, the Australian, was he a yachtsman, I think, uh, started the program. Uh, we said we, we could actually demonstrate what it means to be uh, God's church by being out in the community picking up rubbish. And we did. We picked up about two cubic metres of rubbish, as it turned out. But some dear friends in the congregation that I had really struggled with this concept. One of them, a, a brother I love deeply, came to me and said, David, I have a bit of a problem here because Sunday's actually the Lord's Day. And great, I'm so grateful for the fact I didn't respond in the moment because what I'd like to have said to him is, yes, that is true. So's Monday. So's Tuesday. Believe it or not, so is Wednesday. Thursday too. 
Friday and Saturday, as a matter of fact. Every day is the Lord's Day. And what you do on a Sunday matters as much as what you do on Tuesday or Wednesday or Friday or Monday or whatever day it might be. Every day there is an opportunity for you to worship God. If we're going to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, that means we live for God wherever we happen to be. And that can be challenging. One of the greatest anxieties that I had today, and probably not as great for me as it was for Matt, was getting back here on time. Because Matt wasn't sure what he was going to do. I said, you'll be fine, just do what you do. He, he was enjoying himself today. <laughs> here's, here's the fear. Uh, come, and this has happened a few times, and, and some of you will know this. Um, you're driving along. You go to one of those uh, parts on the road where there's, there's cars that go straight ahead and cars that turn right. There's a green light for ahead or a red light or whatever, it is, and there's an arrow. And you get behind somebody who's first in line or maybe you're the second or the third, doesn't matter, and they're waiting. And so what they do is pull out their device while they've got a few moments and just check a couple of text messages. And they don't realise that as they are doing that, the arrow has gone green. They don't realise it because the cars beside them are not going. Uh, so they're, they're okay. Suddenly somebody, not saying names, um, will give a bit of a beat and they'll look up. Oh, look at that. It's a green arrow. And they'll go. And just as they go, the arrow turns red. <laughs> You've ever had that happen? Oh, yeah, that grinds my gears. Just, just, ask, just ask my wife, what are you doing? You know, Come on, wakey, wakey. What does it mean to actually live as a living sacrifice in that situation? Now, I use that, that illustration because we can laugh about it. It's a little bit funny, but it's real, isn't it? It happens. How do we actually live as followers of Jesus? How do we offer our bodies as living sacrifices in situations that absolutely wind us up? And you could probably name plenty of stories just like that, just as I can. How can I, how can I live, uh, how can I act as a living sacrifice? Here's another illustration. Uh, when, uh, when I'm talking to the person or when I'm dealing with someone on the checkout at Coles or wherever it might be, Aldi, Woolworths, whatever. Had a very interesting conversation with somebody this week. I'll name this person. Um, Ray Perini is not able to be with us anymore because of his age and health. Uh, but Ray was just telling me, you know, the job that he had there for a number of years with his wife was, was cleaning houses for builders just before the occupants came in. And Ray was telling a story of an occasion where they had just about finished cleaning the house. It happened more than once. Just as they finished the house, you know, everything was spotless. The building inspector would come in, walk through the muddy uh, outdoors, clump his way down the passageway, uh, turn on the shower to make it work, and make sure the water works. Yeah, turn on all the taps, you know, and, and, and then they'd have to turn around and clean the place again. Wouldn't that wind you up? There's all sorts of places that we run into in life where it actually is deeply challenging to think about how to offer our bodies as living sacrifices, and yet that's what we're called to do. And I'm not using kind of illustrations that are way out of our experience. These things are the very real things that we experience, things that you might experience going home today. Offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Paul uh, talks then too about offering our bodies as holy bodies. In Romans chapter 6, he says, Do not 
offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of weak, uh, wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God. This whole idea of the Old Testament holiness was of something being set apart for God's purposes, and that is true of our bodies too, that it be set apart for God's righteous purposes. And again, it's not holy because of what it looks like, but because of what it does. And then finally in this verse, uh, Paul says this is pleasing to God. And in a sense, Paul brings the argument right back to worship again. What we do in offering our bodies as living sacrifices is an act of worship. It comes back to God. Our bodies matter because of God. Our living matters because of God. Holiness matters because of God. The aim of living a merciful life, which Paul will describe more through this chapter, matters because of God. It's no accident that as you walk out of this service this morning, you will do so in a body. So let me finish with a couple of pieces of scripture. Writing uh, from the context of prison, Paul wrote these words to the Philippians. Philippians 1.20, he said, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. That's a very challenging passage, isn't it? Even while chained in prison, perhaps aware that he was facing death, Paul's desire was to live in the body in a manner that worshipped Jesus. And then writing to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6.19, he said, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, who you have received from God, You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honour God with your body. In other words, summing up what Paul said here in Romans, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. The challenge for you this week is to show the world the worth of Christ by the use of your body. Let's pray. Father, again, we give you thanks uh, for your word, for the scriptures that have been preserved for us. And this single verse alone is a deeply challenging one in so much as we know how difficult it can be from time to time to live well in our bodies, to represent Christ in our bodies, to show the love of Jesus by our living, by our actions. And so our prayer today is, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would inhabit us in such a manner as to allow your goodness and grace, your mercy to flow out of us. Lord, every person here is going to go into a different context through this week, through this day even. And so we pray for each one that you will help all of us to be mindful of the opportunities that you've provided to us to live well in the body that you've given to us, that you will help us to look for opportunities to serve you well and that everything that we do might be an act of worship, for that is pleasing to you. Lord Jesus, we give you thanks for your presence and for your help, and pray this in your name. Amen. We're going to move to a time of communion where we're very mindful of the manner in which Jesus gave his body for us, that ministry of reconciliation through the death and resurrection of Christ. This morning, the invitation is to come and receive communion. For those of you who are regular here, you'll understand the pattern where we move from the rows that are into the centre aisle, come down the centre 
If you're in the front two blocks to the front tables, if you're in the back two blocks to the tables there in the middle, uh, we can take the bread, the reminder of the body of Christ that was given for us, and the cup that is a reminder to us of the blood of Christ that was shed for us. Let's take a moment to pray, though, as we come to the table today. There'll be some music playing as we gather. Let me encourage you to take the bread and eat it and hold on to the cup that we might drink that together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you too as we've been thinking about uh, the manner in which our bodies are used as, um, as a living sacrifice for you, that your body was given as a living sacrifice for us. For you were the lamb that was given, the one who was perfect in every way. Your life was substituted for ours, the punishment that we deserved you took upon yourself and the life that we now have is a gift from you. Lord, we take these communion elements this morning with grateful hearts. We thank you for the presence of your spirit with us, enlivening us, and so we invite you to speak to us too. Lord, we would use this time as a time where we might uh, confess to you that we have uh, fallen short of your, of your perfection, where we have failed through the week in so many ways, we would confess our sin before you, Lord, knowing that as we confess our sin, you are good and you are righteous and you forgive us and you restore us. And so we use this time too as a time where we might be restored to you. Lord, we come together too as your family today and we use this as a time where we celebrate the unity that we have won for us by Jesus Christ. And so we share this meal together. Lord, bless this time, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me invite you to stand and come and take the elements. When everyone has received those, we will drink together and then we'll conclude our service with a song. <laughs>